Hello and welcome to Incast, Incast's new podcast that delves into the trending issues shaping the world of public relations. Hello and welcome to another episode of Incast, and today we're talking enterprise technology, and I'm here with Ed Harrison, our SVP. Hi, Ed. Hi, Sam. How you doing? I'm very happy to be here. Excellent. So, recording this episode, IT people are humans too, um, because. In the world of technology, everything focuses on speeds and feeds and functions and the shiniest new object. But um, we know that stories are what drives public relations. I I think what's funny here is that as a practice, we're finally getting to do things that people in consumer PR have done forever. Like we're not just doing product news. We're not doing speeds and feeds. We're appealing to emotions and needs and how we meet those. And while this may not sound exciting to someone that has been doing consumer PR forever, in tech PR, it's very different. It's, so, a very, it's taken a long time to get there, and I'm very happy to be there. So uh, technology buyers care about stories? They do, actually. Well, I mean, there's a few things happening here. Um, I was actually at a, a meeting yesterday with a client where they said, you know, we'd like to be in the Atlantic. Uh, our readers read the Atlantic. They don't necessarily, uh, you know, want a, an entire story about them. But if we could mention in there or talk about talked about as thought leaders, they do. I think technology buyers are, are human, too, we have to remember. So, yeah, they may read the trades, but they're also going to be looking at mainstream publications as well and social media, too. So how do we get... How do we strike that balance from talking about what makes one tech product better, different, faster, and telling stories that resonate and connect? How, how do we do that? It's, it is not easy, let me tell you. And I think many times we're dealing with companies in which the marketing people are themselves engineers. Mm. So they have to take a step back themselves. And you know they'll talk about some sort of uh, very arcane, say, optical networking technology. It's like, okay, we're at a cocktail party. Or you're with your grandmother or grandfather. You know, explain this to me. Tell me what this does and how this makes our lives different and better. And I think for buyers, we have to do the same thing. I think there really needs to be stories told that you know the CIO of a company uh, became more efficient, cut cut uh, times in doing things, was able to be more strategic. The right reality is, you didn't ask this, but I'm going to say it anyways. The role of the CIO is changing. They are no longer, um, you know, their biggest motivation before was fear. It was like, I just don't want to get yelled at. And for, uh, for a time, I had done some de facto CIO work, and I could see that. The only time you got attention was when things didn't work. Right. Now they're finally getting a seat at the, uh, at the adult table, and they want to be seen as not just keeping the trains running on time, but making sure that they're making strategic decisions as well. Ones that uh, uh, work with existing technologies and uh, s- save real time and money and solve problems. Because it's the hardest job of all, making sure that everything is working while also focusing on the next, you know, two, three, four, ten years even, and and making the right bets. Exactly. And I I think for a while, um, we in the tech PR business and some of our clients were too far ahead of these things. It took a while for the market to catch up with these. Uh, like like you, I've been through a few uh, burst bubbles and mm. uh, uh, ex, you know irrational exuberance and uh, uh, market corrections, and we see now that uh, rather than talking about the potential of uh, you know delivering things for free uh, and making money through volume, we're really talking about real solutions that work now that CIOs can buy today and use today rather than selling on the promise of tomorrow. Ah, interesting. So. Talking about uh, tomorrow, as we were prepping for this, uh, you mentioned the show Silicon Valley. Yes. I, <laughs> Talk you, to me about why that struck a chord well, for you. 
it's funny. I used to watch Mad Men years ago, and that would freak me out every Sunday night because <laughs> I, I worked at a firm where we had one big client, and that I referred to as "This is our lucky strikes. If we lose our lucky right. strikes, we're screwed." So I would go, I would go to bed on Sunday nights uh, afraid. Uh, uh, Silicon Valley is fantastic because it shows just the sheer, uh, almost ludicrous nature of tech speak. Uh, and the fact that I think there was one episode there at uh, TechCrunch Disrupt, and every company described themselves as "We're going to save the world through X." And the reality is, we all know you're not going to save the world through X. I had uh, friends that were in, in, PR friends that were in a band for a while called uh, the Leading Providers because <laughs> everybody called themselves that. And our goal right now is talking, uh, trying to find ways for tech companies to differentiate themselves, not through being faster, mm. but being cheaper, uh, not cheaper, but more cost effective and solving more problems and uh, showing ROI. I mean, I wrote a blog post a while back that said, you know, IT pros, we want to bring out the superheroes within them. I mean, they're not mindless drones. They're not these minions that have no emotions, yet oftentimes they've been marketed to in such a way. And we're trying right. to help them uh, not not be that way. I'm just laughing about <laughs> what you said before. Well, yeah, so then I were more stressful than I think now. <laughs> Silicon Valley's made it, uh, made it much happier. And I think if you can take a step back and actually look at some of the ridiculous ways that B2B tech has been marketed throughout the years. You know, I remember my very, I've been doing this for two decades. My very first hit was in a publication that no longer exists. But I remember it was product news and I was thrilled about it. Did it sell any more widgets? Probably not. And the reality is now there there are fewer opportunities to t tell product news stories. Right. So you've got to tell either uh, customer stories or thought leadership or really intersect your client within the news that's happening right mm -hmm. now. There's really, there's no way to avoid that. We had um, a, a meeting the other day with a client that said, you know, well, we don't want to get involved in politics. And it's not a matter of getting involved in politics. It's a matter of inserting what you're doing and how it affects either your customers or your uh, your prospects or even your employees uh, into policies that are happening uh, that are bigger than, say, a router or a switch. Right. That's fascinating. So you mentioned before a um, a publication that wasn't around anymore. Yes. And, <laughs> there um, are many of those. Well, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. It's like technology publishing in the B2B space. It doesn't seem to be a day that goes by without layoffs, reorgs, sure. or journalists moving from publication either upwards or, or downwards. And uh, can we talk a little bit about kind of the impact that's having on you know our world as communicators on behalf of technology Absolutely. clients, and that, and then also kind of bigger what it means for sort of publishing as a whole, you know, in terms of the opportunities to get our clients media coverage. I'm going to drop a Simpsons quote in here. I think oh, at, at one point, uh, uh, Lisa Simpson says, uh, you know, in Chinese, and this may or may not be true, the word for crisis and opportunity are the same. And Homer said, yes, crisis-tunity. <laughs> and I think there is a, uh, I think there is a crisis-tunity here in that, yes, there are fewer publishers and there are also fewer uh, writers. Uh, but these writers tend to show up somewhere. Either uh, they're freelancers, mm -hmm. um, so you find them that way and help them sell stories to uh, outlets that are still uh, in existence, or um, fewer publication. I'm sorry, fewer reporters uh, means more opportunities for contributed content. Um, I think editors are being equally selective about thought leadership in that it can't be vendor biased in any way. Right. But at the same time, I think if you can help your uh, your B2B tech clients come up with a truly different idea that is 
I mean, everybody can't be a thought leader, but everyone can have moments of thought leadership. So we can fi- help them find those times. I think that that's what we have. That's our job at this point. That that's that's very interesting, and I think also the the kind of um, of publications is changing. It's not all necessarily you know online or print. We're seeing uh, the growth of B two B podcasts. I, I was going to say that there are different channels now than there were beforehand. I mean, certainly there's the self publishing model going right you know right to LinkedIn and Medium and using that. But yeah, last week or earlier this week, we read some news about some B two B podcasts and how those are relevant uh, for these uh, particular audiences. And you know, I, again, I think. We're getting to do things on the B2B side that our B2C peers have been doing for a while. It's a lot right. more fun than, you know, it's a lot more fun than pitching product news to Interactive Week. And May speeds it rest and in peace. Feeds. Speeds and feeds, absolutely. Exactly. Yes. But while we're talking speeds and feeds, you and I are both self-confessed geeks. Absolutely. Yes. Tell me kind of what, what are you looking out for? What are sort of the, the sort of technologies that are coming that, you know, you're, you're keen to learn more about and, and which you think, you know, will have an impact on. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, that's a great question. I think I have been seeing a lot of companies. I mean, the whole concept of big data is done. We understand what that is, but I'm seeing companies that are positioning themselves as being able to amalgamate different sources of data and use AI and uh, machine learning to actually help people make better decisions. So it's not really just having access to all this data anymore. That's table stakes. Everybody has right. that. But it's having built-in intelligence, uh, combining your own data with open source data, mm-hmm. with even the you know, geospatial data, and using that to make better decisions. I think there's going to be um, uses for that that are going to go beyond you know things that maybe started in, uh, in defense or even cyber defense. Eventually, you're going to help uh, you know, Amazon deliver things better. I think, but I think it's. I think there's just there's different ways to use data now, and it's very uh, interesting to see uh, some of the more unique uh, capabilities that are happening beyond uh, sort of just the fact that we know the data is there. That that's that's curious. I mean, data kind of is the foundation for everything. These Absolutely. Days. I mean, well, and it's funny you mention that. I, I think both on the uh, the product side, but also on our side too. We're you know we're trying to encourage our clients to use their internal data more to tell stories. I mean, there it's a huge untapped resource that they may have customer or prospect data uh, that can be scrubbed and uh, some great stories that we never thought of that are in there. That and and that's that's tough. You know, when, when clients have their own data that that they have and, and finding the story within the data when, when you're not looking for a story, you don't know how to look for the story, that's that's not easy. That's not easy. And a lot of times they have preconceived notions of the stories they want to tell. And I think in general, we all just need to take a step back. Like maybe the stories we're telling aren't the right stories. What are, mm. some, other, what are, what are some other stories we could tell and how could we use data to help support that? What do you do when you think you have a story that isn't the right story. How, how do you come to that realization? With, with, a, with a client or just in, in general? general? Um, I think, well, it's tough. I think, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in the, uh, the rule of pushing back twice. I will push back on a client twice and say, I think this, and by pushing back, I mean, I'll say, this is, an, you know, this idea may not work for X, Y, and Z reasons. Uh, here's some better ideas or better solutions. You know, at the end of the day, if you, you know, if you don't, believe me after I tell you twice, we'll go ahead and do it and see what happens. Mm-hmm. But I think it, it, it is challenging sometimes to really, there are sometimes, I hate to say this, there's a, there's a, a gut feeling whether a story's gonna work or not, and there are new ways to tell. I mean, if you just use things like Trendkite, 
There are ways to uh, analyze stories and see what's, what types of keywords and data get picked up and how we can uh, map toward that. Um, out of all the technologies that you are interested in and care about, what's your number one favorite enterprise technology? My, my number, wow, <laughs> it's like asking me what my favorite, who my favorite child is. I love them all the same. <laughs> no, I, um, I think some of the things that are happening now in... Uh, I mean, there are some amazing things happening in uh, really deep cybersecurity right now. Working with a client that's doing work offering uh, cybersecurity specifically for high net worth individuals and the ability to huh. uh, map patterns that are happening there and map data and uh, protect that. I think we're going to see some amazing things happening there, particularly as you know, I see we all have our smart devices here. Like these things are also they have our entire lives on them. They're right. very, you know, uh, they're very. Uh, personal devices that are never more than, you know, arm's length away. And I think some of the technologies that are going to help secure those uh, things we're not even thinking about, um, I'm very excited about that. I also, you know, have a soft spot in my heart for uh, optical networking and things like that as well, too. I mean, who doesn't? But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I really, uh, I think uh, there's uh, probably a mix of some of the uh, data analytics, uh, cybersecurity, and some other hardcore hardware stuff. <laughs> you completely. I do not have a soft spot for optical networks. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't always come right away. But once you <laughs> learn about it, it's actually pretty fascinating. Yeah. Well, on that note, I'm going to bring this to a close. Thank you so much. Thank Ed, you, for Sam, your It was insight. a pleasure. I appreciate it. <laughs> and that was Incast with Samantha McGarry. Thanks for listening.